Hey there, and welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast. My name is Hank, the digital pastor here at the Foundry. We just want to take a quick second and say right at the top that you are so loved, and we're so grateful that you are participating in our church by listening to our messages in this format. We hope that this message blesses you and encourages you this week. We've just started a brand new sermon series that's going to take us all the way up to the Easter holiday. That is our series out of the chaos where we look at the nation of Israel uh, and their journey out of the chaos and pointing towards Jesus and his coming and his resurrection. We're really excited about what we're going to get a chance to talk about in this series as we get close to Easter. As you know, we're in the middle of the Lent season, and if you didn't know that, we're excited to have a daily devotional that you and your family can participate in. It's an awesome resource that we hope that you guys enjoy. Uh, You can read our responses to the Lent devotional from the staff here at the Foundry. You can watch some weekly theme videos and access the entire devotional content by heading to our website at thefoundryc.org slash Lent. We're now going to take you back to our Sunday worship experience so you can hear this week's message. Thanks again for tuning in and make sure that you stick around. We'll be back with some updates and some information for you at the end. Good morning, good morning. So here's how it's going to work. The buffet is over here. When <laughs> we'll release by table. The uh, chicken dance will be later. Um, Welcome. My name is Seth. This is The Foundry, where we're all about a better you and a better world. We are in week three of our series that we're calling Out of the Chaos. And the basic idea, going all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, goes back to Genesis chapter one. We see that the earth was formless and void, formless and empty. That word formless is the word tohu. Is it really loud? Can, can we turn? I, I told them I was going to try to talk softer, so they turned it up, so that's what we're working on. Uh, out, out of the, uh, this word formless uh, is the word tohu, which can mean chaos, wilderness, desert, all the things. And, and so how in the story of creation, we see out of the wilderness, the chaos, the desert, the chaos, comes all that is life, right? This is how the whole thing begins. Uh, it's this idea that wilderness, desert, chaos times in our lives are actually what gives birth to some new realities or new life for us. So uh, in week one, we talked about the Essenes who, um, who intentionally moved into the desert because of their belief in the shaping and forming power of the desert, uh, because of their belief that God would meet them there, that God would provide for them there. They went out to the desert to try to create, to to try to prepare the way, prepare the path in the desert for the coming of the Lord. Then in the second week, we talked about John the Baptist and how there's a lot of similarities between John and the Essenes. Some people think he was an Essene. Some people think there's no way he could have been. So we talked about that. We talked about how there were all these connections between John and Elijah, how John is the new Elijah, and, and how he eventually got in this situation where he was fleeing into the desert for his life. God shows up, meets him in the desert, provides for him the bread and water uh, in the desert, um, and, and gives him the strength to carry on in his journey through the wilderness. So this week we're going to move on, and I want us to start kind of at the end of where we're going today. We're going to start at the end and then work our way back to the end. Makes sense, right? 
This week, we're going to turn, starting to turn our attention more towards Jesus a bit more directly. So we're going to pick up in the story where we left off last week, that is the baptism of Jesus, because this is a big moment. This is an important moment for where this whole thing is heading, okay? So take a look at this, Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan uh, to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up from the water, out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, uh, as, as I like to do, I like to picture these situations in our head. So I, I want to look at a few pictures of what this may have been like based on what you can find on the internet. So here is the first one. This is the Sunday school version. The dove is coming down. I think the heavens are opened. They're, I don't know. This would be a tricky one to baptize in. It's only this deep. Um, anyways, okay, that's one way it might have looked. Here's another one. This one is like the weird Jesus art. They're like in these weird robes, but it, they're wearing like mushroom hats. I'm not sure what those are. And then uh, I do appreciate that like the angels are black and Jesus is like non-white, which is cool, like good for them. Here's maybe another way that it looked. This one is ripped Jesus. <laughs> I mean like, come on, that guy. That guy, that's pretty good. So we've been talking the past, <laughs> uh, if my goal is to be like Christ physically, I have failed. Um, <laughs> we've been taking the past couple weeks and talking about the shaping and forming power of the desert, the wilderness, all this stuff. And, and we see Jesus coming to John to be baptized in the Judean wilderness, being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. So today, I wanna shift our language and our focus from the desert to the water. I want to talk about the water. What's the power and the significance of this? So Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River. Okay, that's water, obviously. Then before that, we talked about how John was up and down the Jordan River. Uh, like his ministry was this ministry of baptism, and so he's dunking people in the water. Then you have the week before that, we talked about the Essenes and how they were living in the desert, but they dug this uh, aqueduct, a half a mile long aqueduct, in order to get you know, fresh living water to their site. So they used that water not only for living, but they also used it for, to fill their mikvahs, right? The ritual baths, so that they could maintain their ritual purity. So that's two, two things of water there. If you back up before that, we see this, a couple, like a thousand years or so before that. This is the crossing of the Jordan River. The people of Israel have been wandering in the desert, they finally come to this moment where God pushes the waters back and they cross over the Jordan River into the promised land. Here's the story of this one. See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its flowing waters downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, which means the river was wider than it might normally be. 
Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down the Sea of the Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over uh, opposite of Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. It's a cool story, neat story. The priests, they're carrying the Ark, right? They're carrying the Ark of the Lord. They, they step down into the water, and it's not until they step down into the water that the water begins to recede, and then the whole nation passes through, crosses over the Jordan, crosses through the Jordan to get to the land of promise. Now, if you back up about 40 years or so before that, we have another story where we see this. This this is Moses uh, crossing the Red Sea. Um, I wonder with stuff like this, like how long did he have to pose for this painting to get finished? Uh, So here he is in all of his beautiful lion's mane of white hair leading the people across. There's another photo of what it may look like as well that I find this one really interesting. The people are over here on the dry side. The waters are crashing down on the the Egyptian army. And these people are laughing. I don't, like I get the excitement. You've been freed after four, you know, like 400 years slavery. But does it look like they're laughing? Like that kid is really happy that everybody is dying Anyways, all right, so let's look at this passage. Here's what it says about the story. Exodus 14. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into, the dry land, into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, and all the Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. Let's skip down to verse 26. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak, the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. You can't escape me. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the people were laughing in the painting. So God brings the people out of slavery. They're broken in spirit. We talked about this the other week. He leads them into the desert, into the wilderness. They eventually cross through the waters of the Red Sea, and God continues the journey into the wilderness, where he will begin to shape them and form them and give them a new identity, give them a mission and a purpose for their life. So, uh, by the way, the word Hebrew, um, as in the Hebrew people, means to cross over So the Hebrew people crossed over the Red Sea. They crossed over the Jordan River where they entered into the Promised Land. All right, now, if you back up another 1,000 years or so before the Exodus and the Hebrew people crossing the Red Sea, we see this. We have the story of the flood. Yeah, all the animals orderly, ready to go. Um, And you know, of course, who Noah is. Next slide. Yeah, isn't that Noah? Isn't that Russell? Isn't that... Yeah, that's Noah. So you have this story of the flood. It's a, it's a wonderful little story that we tell our kids about how if, you're, if like everybody acts up, God's gonna kill everybody. It's a great story. God loves you, just watch your back, but look for the rainbows, right? Like 
It's a, it's a, great, it's a great tale. Now, a quick thing about the flood, why, why we're talking about it. There are actually many stories, there are many flood stories in human history, right? And, and they're all kind of the same. And the idea is that the gods are angry with humans, and so the gods are going to destroy all of the humans. This is how people thought. This is the, the ancient way of understanding the gods, right? If something happens, happening bad happens to us, there's some sort of calamity, some sort of uh, event that we can't explain that is bad for us, then we blame the gods and we assume it's that we've done something wrong and they're trying to punish us. So this story is not unique in being a flood story to human history, but what makes this unique is there's this little twist. In the other flood stories, the gods just destroy everybody. In this flood story... God saves one family. And it might not seem like much, but in compared to the other stories, this God saves a family. And not only does he save the family, but he gives them a promise. And in this promise, it moves the story of the gods and humans, of God and humanity, in a different direction. This is a story about a God who actually rescues. This is a story about a God who wants to be in relationship. So Noah builds this ark, he puts his family on it, he puts the animals on it, the rains come down, the floods come up. But out of that water comes a promise. Genesis chapter nine, verse eight. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all of life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. So, believe it or not, this is actually a very progressive type of story that's intended to give the people, especially the people of the day who have a certain way of how they think the gods work, to give them an enlightened view, a higher understanding of what this God is like. This God is not like the other gods that you've heard about or that you've been taught to believe in. So out of the chaos of the floodwaters, there actually comes this new beginning, this new relationship, this new order with the one true God. Okay, now, last but not least, if you go all the way back to the very beginning again, the story of how the Bible, of how creation uh, begins. We see this. We've looked at this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So again, you have the word formless, which is the word tohu, which can mean desert, wilderness, chaos. Um, <clears throat> in this story, we see there is darkness. We see there is this chaos of the waters. We see the Spirit of God is hovering over the waters, and from these very womb-like conditions comes all of life, all of existence. So out of the chaos of the water, there is creation and there is new life. So to recap, out of the water of creation, there is life. Out of the waters of the flood, there is a new promise and a new beginning. Out of the waters of the Red Sea, the Hebrew people become a new nation, and and God gives them a new identity. Out of the waters of the Jordan, uh, the people enter into this new land, this promised land, which then leads us back to Jesus. What is the new thing that we see coming out of the water through him? in this story of John baptizing Jesus. Let's look at the passage again. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. 
At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. So what's, what's the new thing? Uh, the heavens opened, uh, the dove descended, the Spirit, um, he's fulfilling like these prophecies. Uh, he's setting an example for us. He's showing us the way. He's teaching us he was obedient to God. Sure, 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 sure. All of that. But I think the thing that's really cool here, the thing that I love about this, the thing that's to me absolutely beautiful and so very compelling and worthy of giving us hope, is that if you pay attention to that story, and if you look real close, what you will see is that that story, the baptism of Jesus, like parallels the story of creation. Think about it. What do, you, what do you see? In the story of creation, you have all three components of the Trinity showing up and being active to create, right? You have in the beginning God, you have the spirit that's hovering over the waters, and then you have the word that God spoke. Later, we learn from John that, uh, the, that Jesus is the word made flesh. So you have all three of them present in creation. In this story of baptism, what do you see? You have the father saying, this is my son. You have the son who is in the water, and then you have the dove, the spirit descending Upon him, so you have each. You have all three components in each of these, each of these stories in the story of creation and in the story of <clears throat> Jesus's baptism. Not only that, we see that in both cases you have uh, the other similarities. You have the water in both situations. The Spirit of God is hovering over the water in creation. When this story, Jesus is obviously in the in the in the water of the Jordan River, coming out of the water. We have the Spirit hovering. In this moment, we have the Spirit coming from the heavens when they open. We also see God's approval. In the story of creation, what does God say after surveying everything, after day six? He says this, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And what does he say after Jesus comes up out of the water? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well Pleased. God looks at what he does in the story of creation. He says it's good. God looks at, uh, says of Jesus coming out of the water in his baptism, I am very pleased with him. So what's the new thing? Well, if this story parallels the story of creation, you could make a case that the new thing that Jesus is doing, that Jesus is bringing this new creation Right, so imagine you're the people who have come out to see John that day, to meet John at the Jordan River and be baptized, and you've got this long history and connection to the power and the effects of water. Water is always connected to some sort of new life, new beginning, new order, new people, new land. And then you see this whole thing happen. You see the heavens open. You see the spirit descend. You hear the voice of God's approval, and Jesus is coming out of the water this whole moment that mirrors the story of creation. Maybe what you would see and hear and understand is that in the, out of the water in the story of creation comes a whole new world. Out of the waters of the Jordan through Jesus comes a whole new creation. Out of the waters of creation, God created a new world that has never existed before. And now with Jesus coming out of the waters of the Jordan, he is ushering in a whole new world where love and restoration triumph over evil. There is this whole new creation, a new order, a new world through him that in the middle of this old and dying world, 
there is something new that is beginning to sprout. And the question maybe then becomes, well, so what does this new creation look like? What does this new creation through Jesus look like? Well, I, I would say that maybe it looks a lot like the ministry of Jesus. And, and really, if you look at what he's doing, he, I think Jesus is actually carrying out the prophecy from Isaiah that we've been talking about. Now, we haven't talked about this directly yet, but I want you to see this, because I think this is really cool and fitting for what we're talking about. Past couple of weeks, we mentioned Isaiah 40. We talked about it with the Essenes, who use that passage as to why they move into the desert. We talk about it with John the Baptist, because in Luke chapter 3, <clears throat> when Luke is talking about John, he begins to tell us, he refers to John through Isaiah 40, saying that John is the voice of the one in the wilderness calling us. Let's look at this passage again. <clears throat> Let's go down to verse 3. A voice of the one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. <clears throat> So this is the passage we talked about, why the Essenes move into the desert. John is the one, is the voice of the one calling, come out. This is Luke 3. Immediately after this, we see Luke, uh, John, Luke is telling us that John gives a warning to the people. He gives them this warning to watch out. He gives a warning to the religious establishment. He gives this warning in verses 7 and 9. Then after John's warning, we see something really interesting. Luke chapter 3, verse 10. <clears throat> what should we do then? He gives them this warning, and their question is, okay, so what, what, how do we respond? What do we do? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. Now, why is this interesting? These people come, they ask John what we should do. What is this a picture of that he's telling? What is he telling them? To me, this is a picture of everything that we see in Isaiah 40. This is the mountains and the valleys. This is making the ground level. If anyone has two shirts, the mountain, and knows of someone who has none, give them the shirt and make the ground level. If you have food and nobody, somebody else doesn't have food, give them some food and make the ground level. The tax collector comes, what should I do? The mountain, he's the one with the power. He's the one in authority. He's overtaxing the poor, taking advantage of them. They're the valley people. He's draining them with extra taxes. John says, don't take extra money. Don't abuse your power. Treat them fairly. He's leveling the ground. The soldier comes, the mountain, the one in power. He's over the conquered people who are the people of the valley. Don't extort them. Don't falsely accuse them of people. Treat them fairly, level ground. And then what do we see happening in the ministry of Jesus? What is this new creation, this new world that's sprouting in the middle of the old one look like? 
<clears throat> he's speaking out against the religious establishment, the people in power, the mountain. He's healing, feeding the poor. He's taking care of the sick people. He's taking care of the marginalized, the outcast, the people of the valley. He's bringing level ground. Now, one last thing about coming out of the water, and that's the last line in this story. What does God say when God affirms Jesus? He says, this is my son with whom I love, uh, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. What's interesting about this is that at this point in the story, Jesus hasn't started his public ministry yet. In fact, these words that are recorded by uh, Matthew here are believed to be some of the first words, that, like the first words we hear from the mouth of Jesus. So he hasn't really done anything yet. He's, he's let John dunk him, but he hasn't really done anything that we would consider like worthy of pleasing God. And yet God says, before, before Jesus begins his ministry, this is my son, I love him, and I am pleased with him. After this, he goes in the desert for 40 days, and then after that, he begins his, his public ministry. He hasn't done anything yet. And I, and I think there's a, a beautiful little insight here for us today, and that is that Jesus doesn't go out to heal and to feed and to save people in order to prove himself to the Father He's not trying to earn anything. He's not trying to accomplish stuff for the sake of uh, his identity or for the sake of finding some sense of belonging. He already belongs to the Father. God confirms his identity in this moment. And then his ministry, uh, then his, his ministry and his life is lived out of his belonging. For many of us, we seem to have this deep need to keep doing, to keep making, to keep creating, to keep accomplishing, which is fine to create and do and make and accomplish. That, that's fine. But you have to be aware of the motivation behind why you're doing all these things. Because the, 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 the motive makes all the difference in, in the world as to how you experience and how you will go through this life. If you're doing and creating and making in order to prove something, in order to earn something, in order to validate the self, in order to, to give yourself some sort of identity, you will never create, make, do, accomplish enough or big enough things that you will ever be satisfied in the long term. It may be fun for a moment. You may be excited for what you're doing. It may be a good thing that you're doing. That's wonderful. But eventually, that excitement will wear off, and you will be right back where you started. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You set some sort of big goals. You... you geared your life to reach the goal, it's wonderful, you celebrated that goal, and then the next day you have to do something else. Right, no, I closed the big deal, I made the sale, I did the whatever, now things are good, and then you have to do something else. It doesn't last, you win the Super Bowl, and then it's like uh, spring training again. It doesn't last if you're trying to earn some sort of value and belonging. But if you start from a place of belonging, you already belong. You don't have to prove anything. You don't have to earn your place. The world is your oyster. You are free to create and make and do and accomplish anything because you know deep within your being, whether you succeed or whether you fail, you already belong. 
When you operate from a place of love and belonging, there is an incredible amount of freedom. So what do we do with all this stuff? We just talked about a whole lot of stuff. Let me give you three things that I think are important from today. The first is this, and it's this last bit we talked about. What do we do? Well, you live like you already belong. Your sense of self and your identity will never come from what you do or what you accomplish. I remember, and I, I've used this a couple of times, but there was a, this interview that has always stood out to me in such a powerful way, and that is uh, an interview with Tom Brady. I don't know if you guys remember this or remember us talking about it. Tom Brady had just won like the sixth Super Bowl at the time, and he was on 60 Minutes, and they're interviewing him. And, and, and at the end of the whole thing, he just kind of goes, is this it? Tom Brady says, is this it? Okay, think about that for a second. This guy who's got more money than I could possibly imagine, this guy who's got a supermodel wife, which I can imagine, <laughs> wink, This guy who's won more Super Bowl rings than any other player in the history of the NFL. All the things that most people look towards is like the answer, the goal, the things that we want, the things that will make us happy. And he's sitting there with all of it, and he says, is this it? So by all means, go, do, create, accomplish. But don't do it because you're searching for something, because it won't last, it won't fulfill you ultimately. Do it from a place of belonging and knowing that your identity is found in the fact that you exist, that you were created in the image and likeness of God, that you are already loved and that you already belong, because this is where freedom will be found. The second thing is this. <clears throat> I think we have a new image maybe for what it means to live as Christ the mountains, and the valleys? What does it look like to participate in the expanding of this new creation, the mountains and the valleys? Where are there mountains that you see in your life, in the world? Where are the valleys that you are aware of? Do you have enough tunics? Do you have stacks of tunics that you don't wear and they sit in the closet? And are there people who have no tunics and do you need to be doing something about that? Or, or maybe there's like systems in place in our world that seem to aid the desires of the elite and seem to neglect the plight of the poor. Are there ways for us to bring the ground level? Or, or maybe in your work or in your life, there is some sort of abuse of power and those on the underside of that authority are being mistreated, do you need to take a stand on behalf of somebody? Do you need to lovingly speak to the person in power and try to bring a level plane? Maybe this is what it means to live out our faith. Maybe we need a, a new worldview through which we're looking at everything through the lens of valleys and mountains. So live in a way that is working towards creating an even plane. And the third thing, last but not least, that I think we need to be mindful of, obviously, is the significance of the water. The significance of the water. That yes, water in the ancient mind often carried uh, the idea of chaos and uncertainty, maybe even some fear, but it also represented cleansing and healing. So on one hand, I imagine the Hebrew people 
may have been a bit nervous when crossing the Red Sea, when crossing the Jordan River and there's water piling up all around you and you're being chased. I imagine they were a bit worried and fearful for that, that the waves may collapse and they may drown underneath it. But they kept trusting God to lead them, to lead them through it, to hold the water back. They trusted God because they couldn't do it on their own. So maybe for us today, like, is there something that you're holding on to that you haven't been trusting God with? You're trying to handle on your own. You're trying to part the waters yourself. And God's like, hey, uh, I, I can actually do that for you if you would let me. So may, maybe we need to work on trusting God in those areas a little bit more. I think we also see as we see in the story of creation and in the flood and in the crossing of the Red Sea and in the crossing of the Jordan River and in the baptism of Jesus, is that the waters always represent giving birth to something new, a new world, a new promise, a new order, a new people, a new land, a new creation. So if you're here today and you're a Christian and maybe you've been baptized and maybe you've been at this faith thing for quite a while, maybe for you today, you just need to be reminded of who you are you already belong, you're already one of God's children. Maybe you need to be reminded that you've already come through the water and you need to reclaim the joy that you once had when you first entered into that new land, when you first heard that new promise. Maybe you just need to be reminded to continue to trust God and to lead you through some uncertain waters in your life that you may be going through at this time. Anybody going through difficulties, uncertainties? Not sure if you could make it across. And God's like, hey, I've got you. You already belong. You don't have to prove. You don't have to earn. You don't, I love you. Whatever's happening, I'll help get you through it. Maybe you need to rely on him for these moments. Maybe you're here today and you've never gone through the water. Maybe you've never been baptized and you're ready to experience something new. Maybe you're ready to experience that kind of life that Jesus offers when he says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. Can I say to you that today is a good day for that? Today's a good day for that. Hank's gonna do our communion talk here in a second and he's gonna make that invitation. Maybe today's that day for you, that when you enter into the waters of baptism, you come up out of the water as a new creation. Jesus is the new creation. And Paul, interestingly enough, in 2 Corinthians chapter five says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, who is the new creation. The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. So, know and live like you already belong, because you do. Be on the lookout for the mountains and the valleys and how you can participate in making the ground level. And know that you don't have to fear the swirling, chaotic waters of life, because out of the water, always comes something new. I love this time that we get a chance to be here together and we talked this morning about this idea out of the water and the significance and the meaning of baptism. Baptism is such, it's just an amazing expression I think of all these ideas that we've talked about this morning. 
when you get baptized, you're saying, I belong. You're saying this, this, this family, this, this relationship with Christ, this life to the fullest that we get a chance to live out and experience every day, you say, I, I belong to that. You wanna let people know that, that you belong to that. You also get a chance to say, I'm, I'm living for, for something beyond just myself. I'm living with, with, with others in mind. I'm gonna put others first. I'm gonna put Christ first in my life. And you get a chance to express that in that way. We, have, we love making room for you guys to, to respond how it is that you guys uh, feel and, and are being led by the Holy Spirit this morning. We're still gonna offer prayer. We'll, we'll, have, we'll have prayer volunteers, the Moody's over by the prayer cross this morning. We're going to ask that you guys take communion this morning at the tables that you guys have set up. So be thinking, looking around your table about who uh, in, in your group would like to pray for you guys' this communion. Uh, but we also want to extend the opportunity for you to be baptized with us this morning. We realize that, you know, it may be, you know, a, a little inconvenient. You may not have come prepared, but it's all right. There's no judgment here. We just want to be able to help you guys with that, with that step if you feel ready. We have Patty who's over here at the prayer wall. If that's something that you're interested in, go ahead uh, when we have a second here, get up, chat with her. She'll help you uh, take that step and help you figure out what that looks like for you. And maybe if that's something, if that's not something you're willing to do today, that's all right. Go talk to Patty and we can set up a time to either have you in a future service or come back and have that moment privately with friends and family if that's something you would prefer. Whatever it is that it looks like for response time, we're gonna go ahead and move into that time. Communion, once again, at your tables. We ask that you guys would pray as a small group, pray as friends and family over the communion that you guys have with you. We have prayer partners here. Baptistry is open. And if you're watching with us online, we'll be right back. Thanks again for checking out the Foundry Church podcast. We hope that this message blesses you and encourages you. If you want more information about our community or how you can be a part of one of our in-person services or watch the video version of this message, head to our website at www.thefoundryc.org. We hope that you guys will come and continue to be a part of this podcast. Make sure that you give us a rating and share our podcast wherever it is that you're listening. And we're excited as we continue to pursue after God's intended reality and work towards Easter that we get a chance to explore some of these topics together as a community. Thanks again for listening to the Foundry Church podcast. Again, my name is Hank, the digital pastor here at the Foundry, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Thank you.